Welcome to the Norse Code, a podcast by Inio for Inio. This week, join us as we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Week. On Monday, we have quarantines with international student Thales Vilar. From 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. in the Student Union Ballroom, join us as we learn and practice self-defense. At 4 p.m., we welcome guest speaker Jaisha Lyons Echo Hawk. And at 5 p.m., join us at inio.edu slash live to watch the Miss Indian Inio pageant. Tuesday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. in the lobby of Dobson Harrell, we will host the ever-popular grocery bingo. Socially distancing together and free food? What's not to love? On Wednesday, we continue balling on a budget with inexpensive Halloween costumes. Thursday and Friday this week, campus will be closed for fall break. Catch up on your sleep or homework and come back to the second half of the semester feeling renewed. And on self-care Friday, unwind with some cat videos. Who doesn't love cat videos? For more details about any student activities happening on campus, please check our Facebook page, facebook.com slash activities. Today's podcast is a special episode. Today we talk with Greg Bilby from the Cherokee Nation. Greg has a Bachelor of Science in Journalism broadcast with an advertising emphasis from Oklahoma State University. He is currently an educational services field specialist, but his list of careers has been extensive. One of his passions is traditional Cherokee storytelling. He lives with his wife and three children in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Welcome, Greg. So the first question is to just talk to me about your career. Oh, wow. It, uh, you looked over my resume, right? I did, yes. Yeah, I've, I've like a jack of all trades and a master of nothing. I've, I've done quite a bit, <laughs> you know, which is in some instances come in handy, you know, when applying for jobs, they look at it and say, oh, wow, you can do this, 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 this. So, you know, I've, I've done a wide variety of things and, you know, have utilized my degree in journalism broadcast to an extent, uh, you know, wound up in, in HR of all places and then emergency management then uh, as a health educator. So, you know, I've had 18 years at Cherokee Nation, and, and that's what I love about the nation is if you want to move on and learn a different skill set or get bored with your job and want something new, I mean, there's plenty of departments out there and chances to learn and to grow. And uh, sometimes they offer like a tuition reimbursement if you want to pursue a master's or, you know, get certifications in that field. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful 18 years. I mean, there's been some ups and downs, but very enjoyable. Uh, it's helped pay the bills, great insurance, but uh, met some really interesting people and have had uh, some really cool experiences along the way. So about that, what is one thing that you wish you had known before you began your career? You talked a lot about how, you know, you've changed jobs several times. So what's one thing you just really wish you had known? Uh, wow, it's it's funny if I... You know, I, I kind of admire people who have been in the same department for years and years, but then again, I'm not the one who's sedentary, so it's like I can't understand why they would stay there, and, you know, unless they just thoroughly enjoy it and it's just something they don't want to b- break away from. Like my supervisor in JOM, she's been doing it for almost 30 years, and um, so I wish, kind of, I wish I'd started with the nation earlier, you know, because they offer a really good 401k retirement plan, but I had to, you know, go off on my own path and find my own way and get my own experiences. Um, and just kind of wish I'd have settled with them earlier, but like I said, I had to go go live my own life. Yeah. What would you consider your biggest failure in life? And what did you learn from that? 
I'm asking the hard questions. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, wow, biggest failure. I mean, I've had some pretty good ones along the way. I don't, I don't say they're the biggest, you know, like like embezzlement and wound up in prison. You know, that's a big failure. That is a very big failure. <laughs> that, that is a very yeah. big failure. <laughs> I haven't had anything like that, but um, oh, when I left uh, public health, I, I uh, went to another department. There was a quasi-entity of Cherokee Nation and wanted to be a manager in their transportation department and stepped into something beyond my scope that was, and it was an utter disarray and it was a mess. I inherited such a mess and they had audits coming down the pike and I was not prepared for it. And I really regret leaving uh, being a health educator because I enjoyed what I did and was able to learn and to grow. But I had to leave because I wanted to stretch my legs and, and try something different, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but Winston Churchill said success is going from one failure to the next without losing one's enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. there were some setbacks, but in those setbacks, a lot of character flaws can be revealed. And like, how do you fix those? What do you learn from those? So um, I, uh, right out of college, I was... Uh, married uh, and that didn't last very long I mean that was and that was a setback because I inherited a lot of debt and had to move back with my parents you know try to get yeah. reestablished but um, it's a funny thing because it looking back it just it was I think a glimpse of where I really needed to be uh, when I was in my teens and in college I wanted to move off to the big city and for the excitement and find my fame and fortune but as I've gotten older um I, you know, my wife and I would love to build out where my parents live. They got a couple hundred acres on top of Lost City Hill. It's very remote, very secluded, very quiet. And all those years as a teenager trying to fight leaving, you know, Lost City, which is north of Holbert, here I am wanting to move back out there and raise my family. <laughs> and it's, yeah. It's a very know. common story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually and, moved so far away. I moved abroad for 10 years and now I am back living next door to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and she lives in Miami? Uh, I live in Fairland, actually. Okay, well, you know, not too far away, and it's yeah. it's it's pretty up that way. And I was really shocked. I uh, went up through Blue Jacket, you know, and it's a very small area, but I was surprised how, with the little rolling hills, how quaint and pretty it was. You know, I'd never been there before. So, you know, you're yeah. moving to a very pretty part of the state. And then NEO, the campus in the fall was gorgeous. Oh, I know. I'm you know? so excited about that. Yeah, and then like Northeastern was the same way. They had all those oak and maple trees, and so you know, and you know, Tahlequah is a neat little town. And but yeah. It, you know, having moved back after the divorce, it should have, you know, it should have showed me that's where I needed to be because about three or four years, no, wait, let me take that back. Five years after moving back, I got a job opportunity to work in Oklahoma City. And I thought, okay, here we go. We'll see how this pans out. And unfortunately, you know, a girl messed up the whole thing. I um, went on the first date with my wife about three weeks before I moved to the city and we kept dating. And so there was that pool to come back. You know, she was living in mm -hmm. Tulsa. Then she moved to Tahlequah. I was teaching, you know, where I went to school and so and my heart never was in Oklahoma City but I had to you know go up there and, and try you know and, and I had a lot of fun got some experiences up there mm -hmm. but just kind of wish I wish I'd have met my wife earlier but you know then that would have changed the whole scope of everything I needed to go through yeah. those experiences so we would be compatible now and raise our kids so yeah you know looking back it's like the whole time space continuum thing you know don't want to cause a wrinkle in time so you know it is what it is and right now I'm I'm very happy. So if you could turn back the time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell him? <laughs> I thought about that one. Um, uh, all the money I spent on party supplies, uh, I would have invested <laughs> it, you know, for yeah. retirement, uh, made better choices, but you know, 
when you're young and stupid, you, you, you think, you know, everything. And, you, and, and that's what I tell kids is when I go talk to them, especially those junior high and high school, you know, the whole college experience is to get an education. It's not to run out there, and, you know, have a sucky GPA and, you know, and party all the time, you know, you're there to get an education, you know, and, and meet different people. Uh, when I was in school in Stillwater, um, the dorms next to us housed the international students. So we had Korean, Chinese, Japanese. And so I had a chance to intermingle and meet with folks like that. And, oh, and so right. it's a chance. To, yeah. And it's a chance to find different cultures and meet different people and, and, and see what's out there in the, in the big wide world, as opposed to a small town. So. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity to experience life and to look at life through a different perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and some people, they come from, backgrounds where they struggle so they're relying on financial aid and part-time jobs and they want to get that degree to better themselves you know whereas my parents helped me pay for a lot of my college and I got some help from Cherokee Nation so and I worked part-time to cover you know like car payment and things like that but I didn't have to worry about where tuition was going to come from but you meet those kids who are worried you know okay well I'll be able to come back next semester I hope my financial aid comes in I hope I get a part-time job I hope I can have enough hours to study it's like oh okay so I have it pretty good so yeah you, you need to meet those people and they give you a perspective. So it's like, well, maybe I should work hard and be more appreciative of what I have. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would just kind of, t- I would have to tell my 18 year old self to, to, you know, to grow up and, and, and try to think long-term because I really didn't, you know, yeah. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and to tell my 18 year old self to really, to pray harder, you know, and to listen to that small, still voice to guide me to where I needed to be. Because even though I went down this path and made mistakes, it's where I was led to and where I was supposed to be to learn and to grow. But, you know, but God always showed grace and brought me back, you know, to where I should be. Not saying I still don't make mistakes. I still yeah. <laughs> do. But, you know, I can, at the end of the day, I can, I can be very happy with what I have, even though I want more for my family. You know, I'd love to have a better paying job so we could do vacations. You know, my oldest one's 15 and a half, so I got to find him a car and insurance, stuff like that. But looking at our surroundings, I mean, we're very blessed and very happy and can't compl- and shouldn't complain. You know, even though we want more for our kids, it's like, well, we're, we're doing good. We're doing okay. Yeah. What are the best resources that have helped you along the way? And that could be in your career, in your life, when you were in school. Best resources. Well, I've always kind of had to, to hunt and peck when I got into journalism. My, my dad was a uh, elementary principal going on to being superintendent. So he had no idea about, you know, uh, the world of advertising. And he said, there's not much I can do to help you. So he said, I'll do what I can, but you know, this is a scope, you know, totally beyond my scope. So I remember there was a uh, marketing firm called Runkle Maroc up in Tulsa. I think they're, they're defunct. So I went and talked to a guy and, cause I went from Northeastern. I couldn't decide between OU and OSU. And so mm-hmm. he was an OSU alum, but he said, you know, their journalism program at the time was stronger and they offered more dot, dot, dot. So, okay. And so, you know, took his advice and just, you know, I was, um, found folks along the way to give me advice, you know, and looking back, I should have been more prayerful about what I did, but, mm-hmm. you know, I was still led down those paths to learn and to grow and hopefully teach my son. So he'll learn from those experiences. Yeah. Who are the three people who have been the most influential to you? Well, mom and dad, um, mom grew up dirt poor in lost city a little indian community north of holbert and didn't speak english till she was five you know was sent to school day one couldn't speak english and i used to think she was lying about not having electricity or running water 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I went to work at Cherokee Nation and I met people about her age who said, yeah, I remember when I was in high school and I was a senior, we finally got electricity. We finally didn't have to use the outhouse. Thought, oh, oh wow. Gosh. <laughs> you know, mom wasn't lying. And she talked about picking cotton, picking green beans, picking strawberries to make extra money. And I asked her one time, I said, what did you buy with your money? She said, I bought a chair. I said, a chair? She said, yes, I bought a chair <laughs> so I could sit at the table with the adults. Oh, and, wow. it, and I was, I was befuddled, you know, I thought, really? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, she grew up dirt poor and struggled. And so hearing these stories and mom always pushed us and mom is always frugal. Mom still has a garden to this day and still cans, you know, um, dad grew up, he's mom's full blood. And dad was a, a white boy from Tulsa, West side of Tulsa. And he was predominantly middle-class, you know, they didn't really struggle. They, they were pretty, you know, they were doing good according to the American standard. And so it was weird how those two worlds came together, but you know, they've been married going on 53 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's weird, you know, mom being full blood and coming from a small Indian community where they're tight knit and dad being you know, a white boy from Tulsa mm-hmm. and they, you know, they had their struggles. And, and then I heard their stories where they, dad got sent off to Panama, South America. He got drafted right when I was born. And so me and mom followed and lived down there for about a year and a half. Oh, wow. And they had some amazing stories and they came back and dad was a teacher in the early seventies and they still didn't pay nothing back then. So, you know, there was a lot of struggles, but we didn't realize we were poor, you know, yeah. we lived on 80 acres and there was always food on the table. And dad always was, he was a hard worker and he always wanted to f- fix it instead of buy a replacement. He tried to figure out a way to fix it. And so I've, I've got all these little <laughs> projects. Well, I'll fix it. I'll take care of it. You know? <laughs> And he could weld it, build it. I mean, sketch it out. He just, he was really good at that. Mom, you know, would make our clothes when we were younger. She had a garden, you know, we get out there and chop wood and you had the fireplace and, you know, and me and my brother, he's five years younger. We'd ride our bikes and go up to the pond, take our BB guns. And, you know, that was our little microcosm and just didn't realize that, you know, we were probably lower middle class, but, you know, we were protected and loved and never went hungry. And Christmas was usually pretty good. Yeah. You know, didn't get all, all the cool stuff like the other kids, but you know, we didn't go without, you know, so mom and dad, you know, and then I guess the number three would be both sides of their family, you know, and mom, the, the, she grew up dirt poor, you know, and dad had his family from Tulsa and, you know, and hearing the stories like my dad's mom, my grandmother growing up during the depression and telling stories about how, uh, furniture would get repossessed or bicycles would get repossessed because people go to the, you know, to the uh, department store and buy it on credit, couldn't pay because uh-huh. they lost their job. And so the repo- guys we'd repossess would come through and take their kid's bicycle. Oh, wow. But, you know, but that's how it was. And so hearing those stories of them struggling and overcoming and my grandpa, my dad's dad, he worked in Tulsa for the housing authority, did it for years and years. And he ran a dairy from, from the time I was, you know, from the time they moved to Holbert in 65 until, probably the mid 70s like 75 76 they finally got out of the dairy business and then my grandfather passed away in 80 uh, he was a smoker since he was probably 12 years old uh, camel filterless cigarettes and oh, wow. lung cancer got him and i just oh. I, the bits and pieces i remember my grandfather was he was a hard worker i mean he you know running a dairy driving to tulsa to work coming home to run the dairy taking care of the farm i mean he was always doing something so when i have my lazy saturdays or sundays with my family i feel guilty because that upbringing on the farm yeah. But, you know, I don't have that life, but, you know, that was still embedded in me. You know, you get yeah. up, the sun's up, there's always something to do, you know. So it's kind of hard to slow down and enjoy. Yeah. But, you know, having my, my family is, is influence and then, then my church family, you know, and uh, having them there to, to influence me and guide me. And they, they see me through a lot of ups and downs. So I, I've had a lot of 
a lot of, you know, good spheres of influence, you know, throughout the years that I can look back and, and very grateful they were in my life. Yeah. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Guess my family, my family, the mm -hmm. fact that after, you know, a, a marriage that failed early on and then meeting her later and then having three beautiful kids, um, our oldest one, uh, he, and I've always been able to brag about my kids since day one. My oldest one was born on D-Day. Well, our oldest one, uh, June 6th. He was born 6605. Oh, wow. You know, so, yeah, luckily he wasn't born a year later. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so he was born on D-Day, and he was a, a big, a whopper of a baby. He was 11 pounds. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple of years later, my wife said, I want to have another baby. Okay. Sounds like fun to me. And... <laughs> Yeah. And then we found out we were having twins you know, with my wife being older. It was a little bit of a, a complicated pregnancy and um, she had some heavy spotting issues. And so a friend of ours worked in uh, ultrasound. She said, I want to take you up and we're going to scan. So she's running the ultrasound across her belly and she had that look on her face. And my wife was worried. And <laughs> the nurse was really good friends with my wife. And she said, Oh honey, there's two in here. We might as well look for three. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we had twins and then my wife was put on bed rest from December, from Christmas break up until they were, they uh, were taken via C-section on March 10th at three ten oh nine, And they came at 37 weeks. Cause that was, you know, about the time they usually take twins. They usually you know, let them gestate mm -hmm. longer and both twins, they weighed, they weighed eight pounds each and they were in separate sacks. So my wife was huge, huge. And so we've always wow. had big healthy babies. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. And especially three <laughs> yeah. weeks early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if they just stayed, you know, and the reason they were taken that early is because the doctor was going on vacation. He didn't want anything to happen while he was gone because this was his case and he was going to take care of her. So if they, you know, can you imagine they probably would have been nine pound twins. <laughs> I know. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and so just, you know, my family inspires me and within our twins, we have boy girl twins, Sam and Maddie. Uh, it was, October 25th of 2016 that uh, Sam got diagnosed with leukemia. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, yeah. And uh, being, I was a, a single dad with Melissa staying up at the uh, uh, St. Francis with him. And she'd be up a week, come back a week, you know, maybe gone three or four days, get come back a week. And so we tried our best to have a sense of normalcy and, uh, mm -hmm. during that time. So we, we've really been through the ringer, but, um, you know, we've, we've been, go he, very cohesive but I mean you know there was there were some tough times and there's been a little residual PTSD but uh, you know overall we're, we're doing well and really happy and um, you know it, it's just just what we've been through is you know we can is, look back and say wow yeah is he in remission now yeah yeah he actually had his port taken out uh, first part of September oh. and so when they removed the port it's kind of like they're saying, you know, they're officially done with chemo. He could have had it taken out. His last treatment was February and he could have had it taken out then, but with then COVID hit. And so they, they put it off because it was not deemed a you know necessary or, or life threatening surgery. And so we had it taken out first part of September. So that marked the end of that chapter and the beginning of a new one. And so with the port gone, he was able to be a little more rambunctious because the, you know, if the port was damaged, could have caused internal bleeding, you know, and it could have been life threatening. So we've had to, you know, keep a close eye on him. And how old is he now? Uh, he's 11. He turned 11, 11 this March. Wow. Yeah. He was diagnosed uh, 
So that'd be about five months before his eighth birthday. So he spent his birthday in the hospital. Wow. But, you know, uh, Sam is a, a walking testament of God's grace and, and healing yeah. ability. And, to, and our church stepped up and we had, you know, people all over the world, literally all over the world praying for us. My old college roommate in California, his church, our pastor's uh, sister-in-law, their church in Texas. You know, we had, you know, basically we had friends on both sides of the state that were praying for us. I had a friend in Germany. She was praying for us. My wife had a friend in Japan. So, oh. you know, we had a, a lot of support. And, That's uh, powerful too. Yes. Yes, it is. And he, like I said, he's a walking testimony of, of, of God's grace. And, and even, you know, people can say, well, you know, how can you worship a God that would allow a child to have leukemia? But out of it came so many blessings, you know, and just and yeah. really, you know, affected a lot of people's lives. In fact, um, it wasn't even a month after his diagnosis, you know, we, we were in church and, and the pastor said, I'm not trying to, you know, bring undue attention to the Bilbies, but you know, their son just got diagnosed with cancer and we were sitting in the balcony away from everybody. They're here in church. You know, what's your excuse for not coming? Yeah. So, I mean, it really put people's feet to the fire. It's like, oh, you know, what's important, you know? Yeah. And when people look at him, they can't even tell. You know, it's like, yeah, he's a cancer survivor. I'm like, really? I mean, because he's, he's healthy. Yeah, a big old full head of hair and just rambunctious. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God is good. Yeah. So what is your best tip for making the world a better place, especially during this pandemic? Well, first and foremost, wear a mask. Oh my gosh, wear a mask and wash your hands. People yeah. whine about, you know, oh, it's so uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> I, I love the, I saw a, a thing posted on Facebook and it was Betty White and I love Betty White. And it said, people are complaining about wearing a mask. You said, can you imagine having to wear a bra all day in August in Florida weather? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. True, that is yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, so you know, just keep the mask on, you know, social yeah. distance, you know, and, and, and like these reports of these college kids having big parties and not social distancing and that uh, cases are increasing. You know, they gotta, you gotta take care of each other, you know, and, and then that aspect, mm -hmm. uh, we went to breakfast, uh, like two Saturdays ago and we went downtown to this little, uh, coffee shop called the lift and they have really good waffles and stuff like that. And we're sitting there, and we had finished praying and, you know, we're chatting and I look out the window and I saw a guy sitting across the street and I, I couldn't tell if he was homeless. I mean, his, his clothes looked a little dirty and I, I wasn't really sure. So I asked the cashier, I said, you know, what's the story with this guy? And he said, I don't know. He's here all the time. Is, is he homeless? And he didn't know. And so I just felt led to get him a cup of coffee. And then mm -hmm. Sam said, let's buy him a muffin. I said, okay, okay. You know? And so I, before that I'd asked him, so are you okay? Are you hungry? Need anything? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. So I, I took it to him and he was very grateful and it was, yeah. it was wild watching him eat the muffin because he would just kind of pick at it in small pieces. Like he was saving it for later. Yeah. So just, just those little random acts of kindness, you know, you know, wearing, you know, following protocols of wearing the mask, social distancing, you know, taking care of yourself and then taking care of those in need. Cause um, there's a lady uh, about a mile down the road and um, she was out picking up cans. And so I gave her what little stash I had and asked her, you know, if she was hungry. And so a church had a food drive. So I picked up a couple of boxes and took it to her. And then our church had one. So I took some extras to her and she was so excited. Oh, my food stamps haven't come yet. So just finding opportunities for those little 
random acts of kindness. Because you know, in Hebrews, it says you never know when you're entertaining angels. Yeah. And, and so I we, mean, if you think about it in the, the grand scheme of things, how much did one muffin cost you? Or yeah. how much did it cost you to go pick up those groceries for her? But how yeah. much did it mean to that person? Exactly. She was excited. And, um, you know, and like our, our church had, they feed the kids, the youth on Wednesday night. And so I took her, I think it was leftover corn dogs and tater tots. And it was a big old Ziploc gallon Ziploc bag about half full. And she was excited. Yeah. You know? And I just, you know, just this, just a small gesture, you know, and so just being able to take care of it. And that's what we need to do. You know, we need to, to watch out for each other. And I know there's a lot of turmoil going on. I mean, you know, especially with this election year and we just got to rise above it because we're better than that. Yeah. We get so swept up on what's going on, we forget the the basic important things, the little things are of great importance, you know, and that's what we need to focus on, you know, is taking care, you know, like that song, oh, I think it's not the Chamber Brothers, but, you know, the chorus is, you know, come on people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together and love one another right now. And that song is so poignant right now. It was written back in the late 60s, you know, because of Woodstock and the turmoil. And now, I mean, here it is 50 years later, and it still has a lot of meaning. So that's, that's my advice, you know, take care of each other. And take I care think, of yourself. I think that COVID has kind of, we kind of live in a society where we think that we have to look out for ourselves and take care of ourselves. And we're very individualistic. But I think COVID is really underlining just how connected we really are. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe not emotionally connected to each other, but how easily this virus is spread and how just mm -hmm. simple acts of kindness by social distancing, wearing masks, how it really can save somebody's life. I think yeah. about your son, for example. I mean, yeah. going through leukemia, I'm sure that he is immunocompromised. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that you never know who might catch it. And, and I was at the, the dollar stores just down the house or the road from our house. And this big old, big old redneck was wondering, Oh, I don't like masks. They're uncomfortable. And I should have said something, you know, but you never know if it's going to escalate. And I thought, you know, what's uncomfortable is being on a vent. If you get COVID that is if they can mm -hmm. find a ventilator, Yeah. you know, and then what if you affect someone else? You know, like what if my son got it, you know, and he was in the hospital because he's immunocompromised because someone didn't want to wear a mask simple thing of just wearing a mask, you know, and yeah. I, um, I had to laugh because uh, my friend in Germany, she called me to check on me and, and, uh, and she, and she said, so this toilet paper shortage, you know, is that a big deal? And, I was, <laughs> and then people who were hoarding and trying to sell it, you know, for, for a yeah. profit. That was terrible. And, and so I asked her and she said, yeah, it's the same thing. You know, that she said, I can't understand the toilet paper shortage and this, that, and the other. And she said, but you'll never guess what the fridge stocked up on. I had to think about it. I said, what was it? He said, the French went nuts and stocked up on red wine and condoms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally different. You know, once an even perspective in another country, but I, it made Very me different, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just taking care of each other. Then, like, uh, I volunteered to go out and do the shopping because, you know, my parents are in their mid-70s. And I was, you know, and I went out so my, my wife and my family wouldn't have to go out. Of course, I was, you know, stripping down in the garage and running to the shower to make sure I could, you know, wash off and sanitize. And so yeah. I was calling people I knew that, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to, like Sam still had his appointments, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to be in Sam's. Do I need to get you anything? Do you need to stock up on what is it? You know, and I was, you know, calling people who I could think of and, you know, just reaching out because, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, there's a, a sweet little lady at our church and uh, she lives by herself on a fixed income and 
it's, you know, I, I got a hold of her and say, Hey, what do you need? You know, oh, I'm fine. I'm taking care yeah. of, thank you for calling. So you know, little acts like that. Yeah. And just the, the act of checking in on somebody mm -hmm. speaks mm -hmm. volumes. Yeah. 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 So my last question isn't really a question, but it's my favorite. Tell us something interesting about you. <laughs> well, it's hard to nail it down to one thing. Um, um, wow. Well, f first thing that pops into my head is I actually do um, Cherokee stories. I was able to learn from a really great guy. He's actually a uh, national treasure for Cherokee Nation. And I took the time to listen and he would send me stories and teach me. And that is actually turned into a nice little side gig. Um, I've been able to go to Arkansas, make uh, like five or six trips to Montana and use those stories to influence and empower youth and tell them that they are uh, special and wonderful and they are cared for, you know, and they have gifts and talents they don't need to squander. Yeah. And I've actually used it as a platform, you know, to incorporate a little bit of the gospel and share with kids. Mm -hmm. And I have a story. It's a, it's a combination of two stories. It's the one about, Oh, the kid who finds the snake, the beautiful snake, and it ends up biting him. And then, uh, then it's also the story about the, uh, grandfather who's teaching the young uh, his grandson wisdom you know and he tells a story about the two wolves that battle inside him and then and the, mm -hmm. the grandson says well which wolf wins and the grandfather says whichever one you feed and so yeah. I tell the kids you know are you going to feed you know the one that does positive things you know you could have a, a crappy day and come home and, and disperse that negativity or you could you know uh, help build someone up so uh, you know the storytelling is, has been a lot of fun uh, yeah, and you actually, you did a storytelling event for the Miss Indian Pageant at yeah, NEO. Yeah. Was that two yeah. years ago or was it last year? It might have been last year. It might have been. The 2020 has been so long. It yeah. feels like. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I actually was able to go to that <coughs> event and I, I'm not from Oklahoma, so I'm not very familiar with diff, like the turkey stories or anything mm -hmm. like that. And it, it was such a powerful event for me <laughs> being an outsider. I, I, I still remember like everything about that night because it just stuck in my mind so clearly. It was, it was last year because our chief, he had just got elected and he went up to NEO to talk to them to, to I oh, guess their education foundation. Uh -huh. And he had left as I was showing up. Yeah, and I remember I was, that. I didn't, I didn't know. I was hoping he would have stuck around because I would have used him in the story. You know, uh -huh. I used people from the audience. And that's what Robert taught me. And that's, that's what helps keep people engaged and they don't get bored, you know, and, and they become part of the story. And also, I, I remember people coming up to Robert telling him, you know, he picked a certain kid and that kid was having a crappy, crappy week. You know, his home life's not that great. But in that 10, 15, 20 minutes where he was the star of the story, you know, it, it, it helped his mood, it helped his self-esteem, it made him feel special. So, you know, yeah. those stories, they have a lesson, but they also have an extra impact, you know, if utilized right. Oh, I agree. So, you know, and so, yeah, and, and I enjoy coming up because it's always this time of year and the campus looks pretty and, you know, getting to see the, the, uh, the pageant unfold and crowning of the new Miss NEO. And, and so, yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've done it off and on for maybe five or six years and you know I enjoy the drive up there they're just you know yeah. sharing that so but the uh storytelling and, and for a while I was collecting autographs and I met some interesting folks I actually got to get Tommy Lee Jones's autographs oh, wow. the actor Tommy Lee Jones yeah 
Um, who else? Uh, I have to I have to dig through. I know I got Miss uh, Miss Oklahoma when I was working at Channel Two back in the day. Um, uh, oh, he did a game show. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and he was the teacher. Went Bueller. Oh yeah. Bueller. Yeah, I got his autograph. Oh god, I can see his face, but I can't think of his name. <laughs> and then one of my favorites is meeting Garth Brooks. Um, we were my wife and I were having dinner. It was a year before we got married. And he walked in and I looked at him and I looked at her. <laughs> and I looked back and I said, That fat guy looks like Garth Brooks. <laughs> you know, goodness. and I didn't say it loud and I looked and I, yeah. he noticed I was looking. And I said it again. I said, that fat guy kind of looks like Garth Brooks. And so he comes walking up. He said, hey, I'm Garth Brooks. Who are you? I said, hey, you know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And he just introduced and started talking. He said, where are you from? I said, Tahlequah. He said, oh, my grandparents had landed Tahlequah. And he told us exactly where it was. I said, oh, yeah, I remember. And um, he said, well, you guys have a good one. I said, all right. And he said, well, what are you up here for? I said, well, it's my birthday. So okay. And um, so we sat down to have dinner. And he walks by and people are looking over their menus, you know, so yeah, it's gone. You know? <laughs> and he walked and he finished early. He was with his daughters and he got done and he slapped me on back and said, Hey, happy birthday, buddy. Have a good one. I said, All right, man. Appreciate it. See you. And I leave back. Said, yeah, I know Garth Brooks, you know. Oh my goodness. That is such <laughs> and, a cool story. <laughs> well, then we had, we happened to have a disposable camera. This is how long ago it was a disposable <laughs> camera. We took a couple of pictures. Oh, wow. And, and I have it in my Bible with me. I have a picture of, me and my wife with Garth Brooks. And then I, I tell people, said, you want to meet my wife's boyfriend? And they look at me. So, yeah. There's a picture of, of us, you know, with Garth Brooks. Uh, there's a picture of me with Mrs. Claus at Dry Gulch. And, and she looks like she's lecturing me. And my wife is actually pregnant with our oldest at the time. <laughs> and then another picture I have, it's, it's very, and I, need, I, I hope I have a copy somewhere. I'm always afraid I'm going to drop my Bible. It's going to get wet. But it's a picture of my son, our oldest son, Logan, me, my mom, and her Aunt Sarah. And it was one of Aunt Sarah's last couple of last years, or her last couple of birthdays. Oh, wow. And she was in her 90s. And so she was the matriarch and elder of Lost City Community. And so we got four generations taken in that, in that one picture. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. And so it, it's, it's, it's very important and sacred to me having that picture. Yeah. And then, of course, the one of Garth Brooks. You know, so I have, I have these stories I can share. So. That's, that's so <laughs> exciting. Well, as you know, we asked you to come on our podcast to help us celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, next week, we are going to have a, a few special events for our students and especially the Miss Indian pageant on Monday night. And we really just appreciate you coming on here and talking with us. Is there yeah. anything else that you'd like to share with the Norsemen? Well, <laughs> me being an old timer and a parent, uh, the whole college experience is for education, you know, get your <laughs> education. Uh, make good choices, you know, uh, make your, make your family and your ancestors proud. Um, take care, you know, take care of mother earth, you know, pick up, pick up the litter, you know, recycle the plastic, you know, don't waste paper, water, um, you know, be kind to those around you because you never know when they're just having an awful day. And that one kind word yeah. can, you know, set a lot of things into motion, you know, and, and um, you know, we're, we're a diverse nation and community and even at any oak. Mm -hmm. you know and we got to look beyond because it, it uh, reminds me out of the verse out of uh, I think it's is it first Samuel or second Samuel when King David was being picked and it said man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart 
and we need to look yeah. at each other's heart and, and take care of each other's, you know, not only now and when things are crucial, but from here this day forward, you know, and take care of each other. Yeah. Because we're all in the same canoe. That's you know, true. And there's, and there's no planet B. This is it. No, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much. I think this is going to be a really powerful podcast for our students. And I just okay. I really appreciate you taking the time okay. out of your busy schedule. Oh, not a problem. Um, and if you want, I, I, you know, maybe sometime down the future, I, I could maybe try to pull a, sh a, a short story to share, you know, for, I would uh, love that. Just, November yeah. is, um, Native American Heritage Month. So that would be okay. a great month to do that. And I, the one I was telling you about, about the grandfather talking to his son and uh, his grandson and trying to instill wisdom. Mm -hmm. it, it's a combination of two stories and I gave it my own twist. And it, it's kind of a sad story, but it really puts the focus back on how, you know, you're important to somebody. You know, you could be someone's world. And I actually use that story <laughs> they needed someone to cover our, our Wednesday night Bible study. And so they picked me and us and someone said, why don't you just tell a Cherokee story? And I thought this one's perfect. And yeah. I tell it to kids, you know, to let them understand that they are, they are special and, and they're important to us, you know, because yeah. sometimes they forget that. That's so yeah, I've got a couple, I've got some that are kind of, kind of sad. And I've got some that are kind of funny too, you know, okay. that you guys might enjoy. Yeah. I would love that. I will, I'll be reaching out to you. Cool. Towards the end of October. Cause I think that would be really special for our students. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love to do it. Well, thank you so much, Greg. Have a great day, and I'll, I will be sending you an email. Your podcast will go live on our Facebook page on Sunday, but I'll send okay. you a link to it. That way you have access oh, to it as well. Awesome, awesome. And thank you so much for this opportunity. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, we'll see you. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank our guests for taking the time to meet with us, and I'd like to thank the entire Norse community for listening. We'll see you next week, and as always, row Norse, row.